other day I was reading uh, an article in New York Times newspaper, and it was titled, The Year We Obsessed About Our Identity. So it, it just pretty much said that this is the time in this decade, I guess, that everyone begins to obsess about who we are and what gives us value, which is what identity is in the first place. It's a sense of self and a sense of value. Essentially, when someone says, what's your, what's your identity? What do you find your identity in? What do you find your sense of who you are and where you find your value? What makes you important in the world? We all do many different things, wear many different hats. Uh, for example, you, uh, we're all probably hopeless romantics when we watch Dear John. Uh, we're, we're activists when we watch uh, 13 Reasons Why. Or we're gym junkies when we're at the gym, things like that. These aren't actually who we are. These are just different hats we wear as we go throughout life. So what is the one constant among all these variables? What is the sense of self? That's what this article is essentially trying to ask. These two things are what make up your identity, self and value. Now, every culture, this is the cool part, every culture and society that you live in will try to push onto you how to find your identity. Society essentially wants to tell you how to find your sense of worth and sense of value. But it doesn't write it in books that you can read or put it in slogans that they print so you can see them. It's usually something that's unseen. It's self-evident. You feel it. You just know it's true. And when I say what our culture says, it'll make sense. It'll click. So for tonight and the next two Chi Alphas, <clears throat> the outcome we're looking for isn't so much to convince you of anything per se, but I want you to leave saying, I, th I really think that I need to explore the person of Jesus a little bit more because of what I've just heard. So to do that, we want to expose for you what culture and society says to you that you may not actually hear, and then what Jesus says to you about that that you may not actually know. Does that sound okay? Hence our overarching uh, title of They Say, God Says. And tonight, evidently, is about identity. So why does this matter to any of you here? That's always a fun question to ask, and I think everyone usually asks it subliminally. Um, if you're not a Christian, society tries to tell you who you are and how to discover that. If you are a Christian, society still tries to tell you who you are and how to discover that. And when the culture does this, like I said, it's pretty much invisible to us all. So as a Christian or non-Christian, you should be well-informed on how the culture around you is trying to shape you, even though you don't know what it is yet. Does it make sense? That's why this is important to you, because you all live in a culture that's trying to shape you, and we'll see if we all are on the same page as to how it's trying to do that for you. Does it make sense? Okay. So to do this, there are three ideas, three, not two, three ideas I'd like to draw out and show you tonight. One, how culture says to find identity. Two, how we actually find identity. And three, an identity that is received, not achieved. So I'm going to invite my good friend Lauren, wherever she might be, to come up and read our scripture for tonight, uh, to let you guys get there on your phones and your Bibles, because you should have your Bibles. It's Chi Alpha. It's going to be John chapter two, 10, verses 2 through 4. So... Okay, John 10, 
But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize him. He calls his own sheep by name and leaves them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Thanks, Lauren. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to pray, and we'll get started. And for those of you who might not know, whenever, you're, whenever we're praying, we're just talking to God himself because that's what he wants most is to be with us and talk with us and to talk back so we can listen. So that's what we're going to do really quick. <clears throat> Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, you are, so, you are unseen, but you're more real than anything else in this world. There's nothing that you can't do. So, Lord, would you please speak to every person in a way that they will hear. Be gracious to us if we are hard at hearing. Be gracious to us if our hearts are hard towards you because you don't deserve that, even if people who represent you have done that to us. We love you, and I pray that people would see a glimpse of your heart tonight and fall more in love with you than they ever were before today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So first of all, how culture says to find identity. Some of you may know this, but for those of you who don't, one of the Bible's main metaphors for human beings are sheep. You know, like, I'm the good shepherd, and the Lord is my shepherd. It sounds really nice and warm and fuzzy when you feel lonely, but it's actually a massive divine insult on us. Because sheep are the most non-self-sufficient animals there are. Usually, they don't know how to get their own food, so they have to be given it. And even when you do give it to them, they don't know what the food is versus what's not. So sometimes they eat something bad for them. And if they're too far from home, they usually get lost, hence why the university puts our homes on campus for you. Um, <laughs> I know. I feel like we all start off there at 18. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, okay, so that was it with the insult part, but, um, so that's why it's a metaphor that's almost insulting to us, um, but the most insulting part to our culture is when it said in verse 2 that the shepherd names his sheep. This is where our culture gets offended. <clears throat> this is where our culture hates this metaphor. The idea that someone else names you and tells you who you are, that someone else tells you your identity, our culture sees that as oppressive and absolutely horrible. Culture says that you get your sense of self by looking inward. You look at yourself and that's how you'll find who you are. You see the things you do, you see the things you want or the things that you feel, you begin to unfold those and then you label yourself based on what you find. So, for example, people will say, I'm an engineering major, I'm a traveler, I'm an activist, I'm healthy, I'm a lifter, I'm gentle, I am fill in the blank. Whatever, when someone says, what are you, who are you, you say, I am this. <clears throat> and you know that this sounds decently familiar. This is how culture says you find identity. You do what you want, you be who you like, you say anything you like, no matter what anyone thinks. As long as you want it, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what she thinks, it doesn't matter what he thinks, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks but you. That is the modern approach. That's it, right there. Simple. Whether you've seen it or not, thought about it or not, or you even care or not, which quite frankly I'm realizing in this generation, most people don't care about many things that think deeply like that. But when we look inside and we decide who we are and what gives us value, 
You can simply call it self-identification. But there are two major problems with it. One, self-identification is crushing. And if you have your phone or your notebook, I very much would like you, when one of these sounds like you, to write it down. Because usually it's hard to see things without a mirror or unless someone points it out. So if one of these hits at home, like my identity does feel crushing, my identity does feel like this, I would like for you to point that out for your own reference. It's not for my own reference, but yours. So, self-identification is crushing. Since you want to create your own identity and decide who you want to be, you now have to achieve it and live up to it. That is a crushing weight. You have to be brilliant. You have to be beautiful. You have to be attractive. You have to be hip or you have to be successful. It's all up to you to make it happen. It sounds really liberating and freeing to be the one to choose, but no one, because no one can tell you what to do, no one can say you can't be this or can't be that, or no one can make you feel ashamed or guilty, but choosing your identity yourself is actually worse. There's a movie called Chariots of Fire, way too old for most people here to, I think it's older than the majority of us here were born, uh, is in the 1980s, but it's about an Olympic runner who throughout the whole movie is just unhappy, never looks happy, even when he wins the gold medal, he looks unhappy. And someone asks him, why, do you, why are you not ever happy? And he says, because when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. In other words, he had to win because he, his identity and his value were intertwined with being a good runner. So if he didn't win, his identity was crushed. Who he was was a failure. So when we choose who we are, and what makes us valuable in the name of freedom, we have to live up to it. We have to live up to the standards. We have to achieve our identity. And it's usually a trap. If you decide you're a good husband or boyfriend, that's your identity, then when your wife or girlfriend gets mad at you, your identity's crushed. If you decide that you're a good student, straight A's, I'm a, I'm a scholar, then when the university gives you bad grades, then your identity is crushed. Who you are no longer matters. If you decide you're healthy, fit, attractive, or, and all of a sudden you develop a thyroid or some, something that you can't help but not look like you used to, your, new, your identity is crushed because that's what you gave everything to. The problem is that when we can't even achieve who we want to be, if you decide you're successful, then when you fail or just stall out for a year, your identity is crushed. Your significance, your security is all based on the thing that you stick your identity to. And the last major problem with self-identification is that it is, it is illusory. In other words, it's an illusion. Something that you think is there, but it's not actually there. And I'll tell you how, what, what I mean. It's a lie to believe that we can look at our feelings and our wants and decide alone who we are and what gives us value. Because each one of us, each one of you has so many feelings that you're feeling even right now, on a daily basis, many feelings about many different things, even many feelings about the same thing. And you're going to have to choose which one to identify with. But you're not usually just choosing by yourself. I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a college student. You're a college student in the 1950s, right before World War II. I might have gotten that date wrong. Tory, history major, I'm sorry. Is it my 1940s, sorry. I literally thought of you when I wrote that date, and I meant to check it. All right, before 1940s then. Before the 1940s, you're a college student. You have this desire to travel the world. But society before World War II, which this is accurate, um, I read about it, 
they valued family culture. They valued people who valued family. If you would be willing to give things up in life for the greater good of your family, you were a role model to be looked up to. But you all of a sudden have two feelings. You want to love your family well. You want to be that role model. But you also want to travel the world. But that would mean leaving your family behind at home. So, um, in this scenario, what would normally happen is the college student wouldn't choose to go travel because society's pressure on them would be to stay home and love family. And quite frankly, for us down in the Southwest, that's also kind of a family culture we got going on. But you may hear that and think, well, you know what? I'm an explorer. I'm a traveler. I do, I do love my family, but I would have gone, and it doesn't matter what culture would have wanted from me. But do you see what just happened? You are in a different culture, and you might have thought that because this culture values people who get to travel the world and post it on Facebook and Instagram. So if your heart was like, oh, of course I'd go. I wouldn't stay with family. They'll know I love them. It's because that's what the culture also approves of. So that kind of influences your decision when you choose between your feelings. In this culture, it's heroic to be a traveler, essentially. So what I'm getting at is that it's impossible for us to choose who we are and then give ourselves value. You can't play a sport and say I'm winning when the scoreboard says you're losing. People can try saying I'm a winner if I'm a loser, but the scoreboard says you're a loser. So something external is what I'm trying to say. Something external has to affirm yourself and your value. A girlfriend has to say you're successful. A job has to prove that you're successful. The money has to be evidence of your success. You see what I'm saying? If you have no money and you're homeless and your wife leaves you or your, your husband leaves you or whatever happens, you're not going to sit there and say, oh, I'm still successful. I'm homeless and nothing's going right in life, but I'm successful. Because something external says otherwise. So all I'm trying to say is this. We can't give ourselves our own identities or worth. Someone else has to, which is the truth of my next point. Here is our second and way shorter point, and it's how we find identity. Within the course of one year, my identity had changed three times. So when I was a sophomore in college, I played college baseball here at NMSU. I had a girlfriend, and at the end of that year, I had a job at a law firm. When I played baseball, I had no girlfriend. I was a baseball player. Not even just that, I was a college baseball player. I took pride in that. It got me a girlfriend, but even with her, I was still most proud of being a baseball player. One evening during a scrimmage, I tore up my shoulder. Three months later, I'm no longer playing, um, so I was no longer a college baseball player. I could pretend to be. I could identify as a baseball player and talk about when I was one, but that's not what I am anymore. Does that make sense? So, but thankfully, you know, I had a girl to let my identity rest on now. So now I'm no longer a baseball player. I am an amazing boyfriend. That's my new identity. So we date for a year. I get a job at a law firm since I want to go to law school. I get the job. This girl loses her mind. And she says, why on earth would you work with a bunch of people who don't love you and care about you and spend all your time there than with me? And I'm like, what? I, I need a job. But they don't care about you. I'm like, are you, you going to pay me? Like, I mean, this is when I found out that she was crazy. So we ended up breaking up, and I lost my identity for being a good boyfriend. But thankfully, I was now an aspiring law student. The thing that gave me my second identity was gone. I, I was no longer an amazing boyfriend. I have no girlfriend to be a boyfriend to. So what am I trying to get at? Is that every time I lost something, 
my identity changed. But something else gave me a new one. And this is my point. We can't look inward to find identity and give ourselves value. You have to look outward at something else. You can't say you're important. You have to look outward so something can confirm that you believe that. You can't say you're good without looking at an outward external standard that confirms that you're good. You can't say you're successful without looking at an external standard, monetary, possessional, doesn't matter, to confirm it. Modern culture says to look inward at yourself and your feelings, and that will give you your sense of self, but that's not true. It seems freeing, but it's not. The reality is that you have to look outward to get your sense of value. Modern culture says that you say who you are, and then you achieve it. Reality says that something else has to name what you are, and then you achieve it. So a prominent Danish author named Isak Denison wrote this, If you don't have God in your life, you think you're free to create your own self, but actually, you're now going to have to accept as success what others warrant it to be. In other words, if you don't have a standard that doesn't change, the standard of success that is always changing around you, that's your new standard. And whatever people decide it is, that's your standard that you live by. All this essentially means is nobody can bless themselves. Nobody can just say, I don't care what anyone else says. All that matters is that I'm happy. You can't do that. It just doesn't work. You have to have a word from outside. Someone else has to identify you. There has to be somebody or something that you adore who adores you. So if you adore family, when your family adores you, you have a good identity and value. If you adore experiences, traveling, whatever it may be, when you have those, you have value. But when you don't, you don't. If you value friends or a relationship, when that person or those people adore you, you have value in a sense of self. The problem is that a person or thing you adore, there is no person or thing you can adore in this world. J.R. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings said, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. When someone praises you, that you praise, that's where you get a sense of self and value, an identity. The problem, if that's your parents, is that they're not perfect. The problem, if that's your love partner, is that they will fail you and let you down. The problem, if that's school, work, career, success, etc., is that it's crushing. If you don't achieve this thing you identify with, your value is gone. Your existence isn't justified. You need something besides yourself to give you value and a sense of self. But that can't be something or someone that changes or that you can lose. You can name anything, a person, a thing, an object, anywhere in this world, a feeling, abstract. And I can tell you a way that it can be taken from you or that it can change. You can lose your good looks. And we all will. Gravity is going to win one day. You can lose your grades, your success, your experiences, your family, your love partner. You can put anything, and you're gonna, we can possibly lose it. And if you lose that thing that is ultimate to you, you lose yourself. So what do we need? You can't give identity to yourself. You can't rely on anything changing or temporary to give it to you either. So what do we need? We need a stable identity that's received, not achieved. 
So, our quote from the Bible earlier said that these sheep have a shepherd, and this shepherd names his sheep. We all have people we admire, actors, actresses, athletes, activists, world leaders, historical figures, somebody. And you guys all hopefully, I think, have a friend here who's a small group leader. If not, you're missing out on what I think would be a lifelong friendship because they'll love you more purely and more genuinely than anyone else will. But I had a small group leader too, and his name was Zach. Not was, he's, he's still alive. His name is Zach. <laughs> and, when I, and when I first met him, he wanted to hang out with me all the time. He wanted to read together, but I hated reading. He wanted to go dig trees out of his backyard, which I don't see why that was fun. He wanted to go throw tennis balls at each other while they were on fire, which somehow I thought was okay. Um, <laughs> he just wanted to be with me. And one day, because I valued his thoughts, I don't know why at the time, I just did. I can't think why. There's nothing he did to make me think that. I just trusted him. I asked his advice about my relationship, the girl, crazy girl I told you about earlier. And he told me, you should run away from that situation as fast as possible. It's not good for you. And instead, I ran away from him. I avoided him. I didn't text him back. I wouldn't let him be my friend because this girl was more important to me. Me and this girl, like I said, eventually broke up. That day we did, I went to the gym instead of staying home watching chick flicks, wishing that was my life. And while I was at the gym, I look over to the left. This was at Planet Fitness on El Paseo. For those of you who are 18 and new here, you probably don't know what that, the, new, the old one looks like. But I'm sitting there at the free weight section, and I look over to my left, and there this guy is that I had just ditched and ignored and ghosted, as the term is I've heard at least half a dozen times in every day. Um, I ghosted him. And he's sitting right there, and he looks over at me, he gets up, walks to me, so I stand up, and with a huge smile, he looks at me and he says, dude, Taylor, how are you? And that sounds like normal, courteous person talk, <laughs> but for three months, this man had seen and been exposed to what a failure of a friend I was. But there in that moment, it was as if none of it mattered. He could have called me a bad friend. He could have called me a messed up guy or any number of things, and he would have been right. But instead, he called me by my name. He named me. He didn't name me bad friend or bad guy. He named me me. My failure didn't change how he saw me. And I realize now, looking back, that this one guy that was praiseworthy in my mind, when he praised me, it broke me because I knew I didn't deserve it. He thought that I was important, and it changed me. I had never been loved like that in my entire life, because when family does it, they're family. Sometimes they have to. What is your mom going to do, not love you? <laughs> this is my point. If a single human being that I admire like that can make me feel whole like that, what if I really understood that God loved me, that God knows me, what if I really actually believed that the God of the universe knew me by name? We all know that we are not worthy to be praised by the praiseworthy. How do I know that we all think that and know that? Because everyone here at some point or another has either thought or said this phrase, I'm not perfect, I'm only human. We say that because deep down we know that there's an absolute standard of good a law of goodness that we don't or haven't lived up to. You can say you don't believe in it, but deep down, we do. We know there is a good, and we know that we are not it. 
So listen to this last part, please, because it's the most important one. We all know governmental law. Uh, the, law of the, stop sign, the law of the stop sign, for example, when it comes to the law, there is a curse and a blessing. And I'll, I'll explain using this. When you come to a stop sign and the, uh, you stop, the law has no claim on you. You've done nothing wrong. The law has no curse over you. You're free to go. The law blesses you with freedom to continue. When you come to a stop sign and don't stop, and you get pulled over and you get given a $60 ticket, the law has a claim on you, a curse on you for $60. And when you pay your 60 the law no longer has a claim on you. You have been blessed with freedom. Jesus came to this earth from heaven. Historicity, archaeology, eyewitness testimony, whatever it may be, we'd like to talk about it later, proves that this was true. But Jesus came from heaven and lived perfectly. That perfect standard that we all know when we say, I'm not perfect, I'm not that. He did meet that. He was that. The only person to ever do it. The absolute law of love and goodness we talked about, it has no claim on Jesus because he never broke it. Jesus deserved the blessing of the law, but instead he went to the cross to take the curse of the law. He earned his blessing, but then he takes the curse so that we could receive that blessing from him. What does that mean? Whether you believe in sin, whether you believe in God's law or in hell, you know either way that there is a sense of guilt that you cannot shake. There's a voice inside that calls us a fraud, that points out when we're doing something evil. So we try to hide it, we try to ignore it, we try to do things more to, to drown it out so we don't hear it anymore. And essentially that voice says that you're not living up. And we all know that voice. We don't even live up to our own standards is the sad part. Whatever they are, whether we want to be loving or just or we want to have integrity, it doesn't matter. We don't even live up to our own standards and we know that. So we deserve the curse, even a curse from our own standards. So we try to achieve the blessing, but we just get the curse. But Jesus says this, I've taken the curse. The thing that that voice tells you you deserve, I took that. I've taken it so that if you just, if you just trust me, if you just trust what I say, when God looks at you, he'll know that I've taken your curse so that you can have my blessing. I've taken what you deserve so that you can take what I deserve. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's what Jesus offers. He offers what no other culture, no matter where you go in our world today, no other religion anywhere else, and you can study every culture and religion, and you'll see this is true, so I, I encourage you to do so. Every culture and religion says, do this, do this, and you'll be accepted. Even our culture says, do this, do this, you'll be accepted. Choose who you want to be, do that, do that, achieve it, you'll be accepted. But Christianity says, trust Jesus and what he's done, and you are accepted. Do you see the difference? One says, be good, do good, and be accepted. <clears throat> Jesus says, you're accepted. Now you have the freedom to do good. This means that when you're successful in whatever you're successful in, it won't make you pompous and prideful because you know that you were a horrible person that Jesus has made beautiful again. And when you fail in whatever, which we inevitably will, whether it's work, love, school, anything, it won't destroy you when it happens. 
because it wasn't the basis of who you are. Philippians in the second chapter says that Jesus was glorious, but that he became a nobody. He was the king, but he was treated like garbage on the cross just so that you could simply be called his. No other identity in the world is safe from change or loss except this one. I'm pretty much done. I have one more statement, and I'm done. Our culture says that you get identity by choosing it and living up to it. In other words, you achieve it. Reality is that someone else has to tell you who you are, and then you have to live up to that. In other words, you have to achieve it. Jesus says that he has already achieved the greatest blessing in identity so that you could have it. In other words, you receive it. Culture says you achieve your identity. Jesus says you receive it because he already put in the effort of achieving it. The world wants to know why we need Jesus. Why does he even matter for us today? This is just one of many major reasons why. Because without him, you are left to achieve your own sense of self. And if you leave tonight and you don't know or care about Jesus, I hope that it's an awareness that you just think about. What do, what, what, what do I determine makes my value? What's going to happen when I don't achieve that? But with Jesus, you're given a sense of self and value that goes beyond worldly success and opinion. Because the Good Shepherd names his sheep only because he gives his life for them. So I'm going to pray and we'll be done.